The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTUV, WXYZ people, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here this Wednesday morning, it's Rotten to the Core Wednesday here on the Sons of Liberty, and I'm um, going to bring on Lynn Taylor here in just a moment. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so, sonsoflibertyradio.com and also sonsoflibertymedia.com. In fact, if you want to watch the video portion of the show, head over to sonsoflibertymedia.com. That's right, you can see the face that's made for radio. Uh, you can pick that up right there on the right side of the page when it loads up. And also, you can catch that live video feed on my Twitter account, FPPTim, Periscope at Setting Brush Fires. Twitter, or excuse me, Twitch at Setting Brush Fires as well. We're also on Facebook under Bradley Dean SOL. Our YouTube channel is B Dean Sons of Liberty. Again, we're in the midst of a YouTube ban there. And as a result of that, we are broadcasting on the Setting Brush Fires YouTube as a backup until that's back up. It should be, I want to say, Monday morning or something. That, that second ban should be off. And we should be back on the Sons of Liberty YouTube channel again. Before it's news.com, front page right there, and then dlive.tv. We've had a lot of new friends there. Appreciate you guys very much at the Sons of Liberty. And then if you want to follow us on Spreely Gab, Me, We, Minds, and USA.life, look for Sons of Liberty or Sons of Liberty Media. And as always, if you want to make a comment or you've got a question, feel free to give us a call, 215-TOP-TALK, 215-867-8255. The phone lines are open for that. And with that said, um, today we're going to be dealing with the issue of the Muppet propaganda (laughs) of the World Economic Forum's Great Reset. Now, before I bring Lynn on, you guys will remember that we've covered the show on the Great Reset with Alex Newman, and we talked about the ties even in with things like the Black Lives Matter witches. And one of the things that uh, Alex had made a point of is this is not just about the economy re- being reset. And this is what some people don't get. This is about an entire reset of thinking of life. Now, most of the emphasis gets put on the co- economic side simply because we see that the Federal Reserve has run our dollar into the ground. And by doing so, they pretty much do that with all the economies that are attached to that, which is virtually every currency in the world. And so they're having to do a reset on that. But this is going to be affecting the mind. This is going to be affecting behavior. 
this is what they're going to try to control us with. And so uh, to look a little further into that, we've got none other than the Common Core Diva herself, Lynn Taylor. Good morning, Lynn. Well, good morning and hello to everyone. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the things that we're going to do today is Lynn has a brief podcast that she's found. And this is from the World Economic Forum. And it is going to be quite telling, I think, in what we're going to see in the future, is a very short future, as to what they're doing um, with education with our children. And they're using uh, the Muppets as their mascots, if you will. And uh, so, Lynn, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, I'll be happy to. Yes, this is something that uh, one of my dear friends uh, forwarded to me, and she said, you know, you have to see this because this is um, really sickening what they're going to be doing. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to play the entire podcast, and we'll be pausing here, thither, and yon to make comments or uh, interject what we've already discussed in previous shows. But I wanted to do a couple of things before we get into that podcast, Tim. And first of all, I want us to uh, go back to last week's episode uh, when we had Clarence Henderson on. We were talking about the social justice. And believe it or not, that is one of the angles that is the um, that Sesame Street's foundation is using the Muppets for. And so if you'll show that uh, 101 slide again for folks, and for those listening who can't see the image, if you would just read off what the uh, short definition for social justice is. Yep, I had it, and it is it just disappeared from where I had that. Oh, no. Uh, hang on, hang on, though. <laughs> no, we've got it from your article, because I do have that up, so I don't have yes. to do it different yes. than the other. There you go. <clears throat> yeah, the Social Justice 101. The Oxford Dictionary defines social justice as justice in terms of distribution of wealth, opportunities, and privileges within a society. There are four interrelated principles, equity, access, participation, and rights. There are five goals, equal access to health, <clears throat> excuse me, healthcare, justice, economic opportunities, equity, diversity, participation, and human rights. Roots of uh, social justice can be traced back to Christian doctrine of helping other others less fortunate. See Hebrews 13:16, Proverbs 19:17, Romans 12:13, and Matthew 25, 44 through 44 and 45 for example. These roots were usurped in 1993 via the Vienna Declaration and Program of Action at the Human Rights Conference by the United Nations. How? Social justice was inserted as part of the rights to quality education. That's it. Okay, so knowing that platform, here is the lady we're going to be hearing. Uh, her name is Sherry Weston, and she is the president um, of the Sesame Workshop, which is the nonprofit organization for Sesame Street. And she is a former Bush the First assistant for public liaison. She's also um, was his intergovernment affairs liaison. Then for Bush the Second, she was the assistant secretary for the housing and urban development. She also was uh, key in ABC, the um, TV media station, U.S. News World 
report. She's also on the board of directors for the U.S.'s arm of UNICEF. She's in the Global Leadership Coalition, the Community in Schools, the Council on Foreign Relations, which I know you've done a really big show on how Trump has continued to uh, appoint people to that particular organization. She's also on the EC Peace Consortium, which builds culture of peace for students and children as young as four years old per the United Nations parameters for what peace is, which will tie back to the Sustainable Development Goals, especially number 17, I believe it is, where you have the partnerships. And then, of course, there's a Sustainable Development Goal set aside just for peace and justice. Okay. All right. Now, that is right. the, this is the lady that we're fixing to, to play here from the World Economic Forum. Mm-hmm. Right. We're going to pay the, play this podcast. So, folks, we're going to start right. this. Um, it is about 18 minutes. At, well, actually, it runs right at 18 minutes. And uh, we're going to pause in between as uh, as there's some commentary to be made about what is said here. So this is um, uh, Ms. Weston and, I guess, the host here who is interviewing her. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get the show on the road. Here it comes. COVID-19 pandemic has without a doubt been the greatest disruption to education that the world has ever seen. Welcome to The Great Reset, a podcast from the World Economic Forum that looks at how we can build a cleaner, fairer, smarter world after COVID-19. This week, education. The pandemic has transformed the way we teach and learn. In this episode, we talk to the Sesame Workshop about the impact on young children. COVID is both an opportunity and an alarm bell to say, if we don't invest in education, it will be at our peril. And we'll hear how the Muppets are helping children around the world cope with the pandemic and continue their education despite it. We'll even be getting an exclusive guest appearance from someone direct from Sesame Street. Hello, everybody. It is I, your cute and adorable pal Grover, with a message for listeners at The Great Reset. Subscribe to The Great Reset on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and take a moment to like, rate, and review us. Now, hardly any children have access to quality learning. During a global pandemic, what could be more important than this powerful tool of media? I'm Robin Pomeroy, Digital Editor at the World Economic Forum, and this is The Great Reset. Some of the Muppets there from Sesame Street encouraging children to wash their hands against COVID-19. Sesame Street is an American TV show that started 50 years ago aimed at entertaining and educating very young people. It's shown around the world now in different languages and different versions. And you won't be surprised to hear that program makers are putting out material like this on COVID-19. Taking care of yourself is also taking care of others. We're all in this together. What may surprise you is the reach it has, taking its shows and its messages to war torn and impoverished parts of the world, such as Afghanistan and even the world's biggest refugee camp in Bangladesh. So to get an idea of how the pandemic has affected young children around the world and how their education might be reset as we struggle out of it, we spoke to the Sesame Workshop, the non-profit education organisation behind Sesame Street. We'll be hearing from Sherry Westin, President of Social Impact and Philanthropy there, on the perils and opportunities presented by the pandemic. To introduce her, we're honoured to welcome a blue furry character from Sesame Street, Grover. Hello, everybody. It is I, your cute and adorable pal Grover, with a message for listeners of the Great Reset. Well, you are in luck because I know a thing or two about resetting. Mm-hmm. I reset my alarm clock every morning. <laughs> but you are talking about resetting the entire world. Now that is a very big job. Well, my friend Ms. Sherry Weston and I are here to help. 
on Sesame Street, we know that it is very important for children to learn and play every day. Now, let me make a comment right here because I'm noticing something that he just said that was tied Mm -hmm. with what Alex has said uh, on the show about the Great Reset. And that is, this is about resetting the entire world. Mm-hmm. And it, and again, you're, they're going to be talking about education. The large part of what we get in the alternative media is about the economic system. This is going to be about the education system, and there are a number of other things that's going to be reset in this as well. So just want to make sure that, that people were tuned in on that, and you said to be sure that people make sure they hear that hardly any children have access to quote-unquote quality education. They're going to be talking about that in just a moment. Absolutely, yes. I was horrified when I heard that because I was thinking about how many times we've talked about, you know, those who are homeschooling in the true fashion of homeschooling and, you know, how many years there has been quality education through that venue. But we know this with this reset, that's even under attack. Because playtime is so important, we have been thinking of ways to help children all over the world learn and play at home. At first, it was hard when nobody could go to school, and I could not visit my friends like Elmo or, well, even Oscar the Grouch. Then we learned to have video playtime, which was a lot of fun and made us feel better. Now, I know you all right, want to hear all about it, and so... Okay, did you hear that? We used to play outside, but now we have video playtime and we feel better. Do you have any idea of the number of headlines uh, where we're seeing our children who are being photographed and they're sobbing because all they're doing is sitting in front of a computer? That is not going to help them feel better, and denying them physical playtime is criminal. Yep. Well, it's okay, uh, yeah, it's it's a it, it really becomes a, a form of abuse because you are uh, looking to imprison them, and it's not just that; it's the invasiveness of it. We've had several uh, stories that have come out where these overzealous teachers see BB guns in the background, clearly marked BB guns, mm-hmm. and they're calling mm-hmm. the police on the families there or other things. Or, uh, for instance, um, who was it that I had on the other day, and they were talking about. Kids being in their pajamas, their pajama bottoms, and they're not allowed to be in their pajama bottoms while they're on, going to school via the, the video cams or whatever. It's ridiculous. Right. Well, we've, t- we've shown that um, clip, too. Okay. All right. Back to more of this. I will now mm-hmm. let Miss Sherry be the one to tell you. Okay. Bye-bye, everybody. COVID-19 pandemic has without a doubt been the greatest disruption to education that the world has ever seen. I think right now the figures are between 1.5 and 1.6 billion learners in more than 190 countries that are now um, out of school or don't have access to learning centers. Like any crisis, unfortunately, it impacts people in different ways based on where they live based on their socioeconomic condition. And so while this pandemic, you know, at the early on, we often said that the virus has no, you know, there's no bias, there's no discrimination, it affects all of us. Well, it's true that we're all susceptible to the virus, but it's not true that it affects us equally. So unfortunately, the most vulnerable children, 
those who are in crisis settings or are displaced or in poverty are impacted the greatest. Let's start with that, those children in those vulnerable settings. You've done some work in Bangladesh with the Rohingya refugees. Could you tell us about the work you've done there? Yes, well, both both in Bangladesh with the Rohingya crisis and in the Syrian response region in the Middle East, we are doing humanitarian work with local partners on the ground. And what we've done is created a model, if you will, where we create educational content that is local. So in Bangladesh, I mean, all of this will be culturally sensitive, locally produced in their language, reflecting storylines that children can relate to. And to your point, that's, you know, new Rohingya Muppets in the Bangladesh and Cox's Bazaar. In the Middle East, it's a program called Ahlan Simpson, which means Welcome Sesame. But it's an opportunity to combine broadcast media, digital uh, media, mobile apps, all sorts of ways to reach children at scale with educational content combined with partnerships on the ground to do direct services. So then we create content that may be learning materials, storybooks, games, all sorts of curriculum that we empower those on the ground with in direct services. Let's, let, Jim, let's, can you pause it for yeah, a second? Yeah, I, I am, because what I'm hearing is what they're pushing as education <laughs> is really propaganda. Oh, yeah. That's I mean, exactly she used what so doing. many. She used so many educratic buzz phrases through there that yep. are going to make you feel so good. Oh, we're doing it locally. We're getting partnerships on the ground. We're creating curriculum. First of all, she has no education degree that I could find whatsoever. She was um, honored with a doctor uh, doctoral degree, but I could not find out in what. So here we have someone who is in a societal leadership role that really has not a whole lot to do with education, but yet she's sitting here telling you, oh, we're designing curriculum. Well, who's the we? You know, what curriculum? Oh, and because we're doing it with, you, you know, the um, Arab nations, well, if you look, who's been funding the Common Core machine for years? The Arab nation. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's just insane, her her speech there, because, oh, yes, you're going to get locally created content. We're going to scale. If you're talking about children who are under the age of six, there's nothing to scale. You just should enjoy <laughs> the child. You should be bonding with your children at that age, because that's the time of life where they need you the most, not to scale and curriculum and all these video resources. Well, no, and this is the thing that we've talked about before, too. The, it, at that age, they should be learning to uh, write, learning their alphabet, uh, very uh, a simple math, unless, you're, unless your child is, is more advanced. And if they are, then, then go with that. Let that, let that be a part of, of, of the learning process because kids learn it different. They learn different ways, and they learn at different levels depending on their age. And, and even sometimes there are some who are far more advanced at one age than another child is at that particular age. This is why you used to see when parents used to bring in a teacher into a common, what, what for lack of a better term, public school, it, that the parents funded it. They funded the school by the, funding the teacher. The teacher was directly accountable to the parents, and they had all age groups in there. Anybody remember Little House on the Prairie? That's what you saw. You saw different age groups, kids, and they were all learning together, but they would they would learn at their capacity uh, for learning. If some were advanced, they would get further ahead. They would take on different things, uh, and others would go along with, with whatever they've been given to. So 
this whole thing that they're going to fit it for all the children, that this cookie cutter approach is really a dumbing down of, of the children is what it's doing. Right. And don't, don't forget, she was talking about that this particular pandemic is supposed to be harder on those with lower income. Well, how many times have we seen this same rhetoric used here in America about especially with the Every Student Succeeds Act. Oh, we have to really go after those with low income. And again, this ties back to the Sustainable Development Goals because if you look at the very first one, it's no poverty. And most people think, well, that means everybody's going to have some money, everybody's going to have a job, everybody's going to have a house. No, what it means is everybody's going to be in the same crab pot. Yep. And with that, let's move on. Yep. Jennifer says uh, the way she formed her statement sounds like they provide a curriculum that is not challenging and as if the children aren't intelligent enough to handle academics. I think that's exactly what I picked up on, too, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. It's it's a thing right. to be minimalistic. It's to push them out and say, oh, we did a good job educating our kids when they really made the kids stupid is what they did. So the way we've been hit the most during COVID is many of those direct services, home visits, learning centers. Obviously, we've had to suspend that in-person contact, but it actually speaks to the critical importance of media and digital. What we're being forced to do is be more innovative. And that's one of the things I hope that post-COVID, we will have learned a lot about how we can be most effective in reaching children and families when we can't be there in person, because I think that's going to be valuable learning. Okay, going on right now, in the name of COVID supposed safety, the state of New York is using in-home visits to not only go after the public school children, but the homeschooling families as well. We have the Department of Education, which has set up a family ambassadorship program that is uh, that is going into homes right now and checking up on everyone to make sure they're okay and they're safe. That is not the Department of Education's uh, business. We also know from previous conversations that the Department of Health and Human Services also uses these home visits to uh, overreach into health care. So, you know, this um, innovation buzzword, again, anytime you hear someone from the Common Core machine use that word, it's code for nothing but data tracking. And that's exactly what this is setting up. Okay. All right. Uh, we're going to pick up the next section of this here. For the future. You're saying you are learning some lessons about how to communicate when face-to-face communication is difficult. And I suppose schools that are reopening are having to come to terms with that as well. I mean, what are the lessons that you've learned along those lines? It varies so much. I mean, even in the United States, it varies between private school and public school, sadly. But I think what we've seen around the world is there has not been a lot of um, investment in flexible education or educational systems that can be mobilized in crisis. There's a huge digital divide, and it's so important that we invest in the equality so that we do have access to reach those who don't have the same opportunities for, you know, access to to computers, to learning through digital. But at the same time, you know, we're really being forced to think more innovatively and to research the outcomes. The digital divide that you mentioned is quite shocking. I think the pandemic has shown that. You're in the United States. I'm originally from the UK. Even in these relatively extremely wealthy countries, suddenly we realise, oh, not everyone does have access to the internet or 
can access home learning and then you've got other parts of the world where that's just the norm. Do you have any hope that that will improve now, that this pandemic will spur action on to narrow that digital divide both in the Western world and the rest of the world? Right now, when you think of the COVID-19 pandemic, children are not the face of it. It's not affecting children in the same way that it is adults in terms of health. But I think children actually are those who are going to be affected most in the long run. And that the long-term repercussions of missing out on education and particularly investing, it's, it's to me, you know, such an insight that less than 3% of all humanitarian aid, and that's for children and families in crisis, less than 3% goes to education. And yet we know from research that that has the greatest return on investment, especially if you're including the youngest children. Let's take a second to to talk about that for just a moment, because one of the things that I'm hearing there is she's saying the children are going to be the greatest affected. Now, I think that there is some truth to that, and I think that's by design. The whole part of they're instilling a certain um, fear in children with this whole pandemic stuff. They're, they're doing that in one way. They're, they're setting it up as they're being put in fear. And then when they see mom and dad go out and they put their masks on and they social distance and they put masks on their kids and do all this stuff, the kids are being trained to obey who? Government. Whatever government says must be good for you. It must be best for you. And so they know better than mom and dad. I mean, look, my mom and dad are even going along with this stuff. And I see it as a as definitely the propaganda and the indoctrination coming hand in hand here. And it will impact the kids the greatest. And then they grow up different than their parents. Their parents grew up with maybe some indoctrination, some influence, some propaganda, yes. But now it's a thing of the government can just say anything that you can't smell, taste, touch, or feel is a real thing, even though they can't prove it's a real thing. And the whole world has to shut down, be frightened, be scared, or whatever. And those kids are growing up with that mentality that the answer to the problems is government. And and in, in this case, when this lady's saying all this effect... The problem has been government in this. The reason that we're where we're at with any of this stuff, whether it's education, whether it's what we're dealing with economically with this stuff or the liberty uh, thing, uh, this all of this is a result of government intervention. That is the problem. That has become the problem. Well, let me add to that. Okay, you heard her say something about flexible learning, digital divide. How many times have we had Betsy DeVos say the same thing? And we have to close that digital divide. We have to have everyone have access to a computer. How many of your states have you seen go in and and create legislation to do what? Put a device in every child's hand from the time they're in daycare on through. And North Carolina is a leading example, and we can thank Dan Forrest for that. Now, he's running for governor. And he's going to sit there and tell you that, you know, oh, he's behind school choice because he's in uh, with Betsy DeVos on that. The man is posing as a Republican, but he is a rhino. He absolutely is. But he's the reason because we got into bed 
with big tech, and it's not just North Carolina. I, I urge you to look at your states and see what legislation they've done. Go back and look at the archives that Tim and I have done on this same vent from the federal direction, and you're going to see it is everywhere. Yep, it sure is. All right, back to the, uh, the podcast here. So my hope is that we will realize that we already had this serious gap and that as we're looking at how do we respond to COVID, that more will recognize how critical it is that we invest in education. You're listening to The Great Reset. We'll be right back after this news of another podcast you may be interested in. Well, listen to this one. Probably globally, the worst is behind us, but also argue that the easy part is behind us because this thing's going to flare up again and again. Welcome to World vs. Virus, a podcast from the World Economic Forum that aims to make sense of the COVID-19 outbreak. This week, an expert economist gives us his view of the impact of the pandemic. Wait a minute. They're, they're seeking to make sense of the COVID pandemic. They know what it is. They've read lockstep. They've read the Rockefeller documents. They know what it is. They know what the sense is. Unless they've just, unless these guys doing the podcast have just been kept out of things. This is ridiculous. So far, on where things are heading. The sooner a vaccine is available and widely distributed, the better the chances of growth. But we don't really see that happening until the second half of 2021. Nariman Beravesh, chief economist at IHS Market, tells us where the pain will be felt the most and which parts of the world and which sectors of the economy will fare better. We're looking at what we call a bounce and fade pattern of growth really throughout the world. A lot of people now are talking about a K-shaped recovery, where some sectors are doing well, whereas other sectors are struggling. Subscribe to World vs. Virus on Apple, SoundCloud, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and please take a moment to like, rate, and review us. I'm Robin Pomeroy, digital editor at the World Economic Forum, and this is World versus Virus. Welcome back to The Great Reset, where our guest is Sherry Westin, President of Social Impact and Philanthropy at the Sesame Workshop. Sesame Street has been here for 50 years. We celebrated 50 years last year. And what I think is so prescient about Sesame is that it was started to see as an experiment, could television be used to reach less advantaged children to give them some of the same advantages when they arrived at school? So focused on those critical early years and to provide earlier learning when you know those didn't have it. Now, hardly any children have access to quality learning. It's not just literacy and numeracy, but it's also the social emotional skills, the health, the resilience. And What we've done during um, the COVID-19 pandemic is we have made sure that we are reaching as many children as possible. And we're working with governments, with NGOs. There's been such a demand for our content through world. Lynn, forgive me Mm -hmm. if I'm wrong here. She just said what you said to be paying attention. Hardly any children get get any um, uh, advantage to quality education. Hardly any. What kind of statement is that? Well, it's one that's supposed to uh, drive you to, oh, my gosh, we have to get on board with this uh, agenda that this lady's talking about. We have to get on board with this entire reset. That's exactly what it's pointing to. But now let me back up for just a second. Uh, And I totally meant to bring this up when she was talking about investing in education and how little goes into it. We've had many discussions, Tim, about how much money is devoted to education, but yet we're not seeing a very good uh, um, 
result from it. She used the word outcome, and we know that, again, that's a government-prescribed, or in this case, not a government-prescribed situation. This is an entity that is aligning with all this, um, the governments and the garbage that's going on as far as how you should turn out. But human capital in education is called return on investment, and that's exactly what she was talking about. And then she just brought up the social and emotional learning and the resilience. And if you want to look and tie this back to some of what you and Alex were talking about as far as the resilience, that's where Rockefeller has tied in with the Common Core Machine and the United Nations to bring about resilience cities. And this is where we've talked about before, Tim, where in this resilience movement, you stunt negative emotions and try to play up all the positive emotions because, after all, if you you know, downplay your negative emotions, everybody's going to be able to be peaceful and, and sing Kumbaya and all this other kind of stuff but you know this stunts their growth because as we've said before you have to know how to manage all your emotions not just the good ones well absolutely and again this goes back to the fact that this is the responsibility of parents it's the jurisdiction of the home I want to remind people that in, our, in our, the u.s constitution the world economic forum has nothing to do with education uh, neither does the federal government we haven't given either one of those entities uh, you know, authority mm-hmm. to deal in education. So just reminding people that all this blabber that you're hearing, if you're an American, this shouldn't even be applying to you in the least bit. It really should it. Right. Well, USA hang on, because she's going to... Okay. Oops. Go ahead. She, she's going to... Uh, they're going to bring up the World Bank. They're also going to bring up the U.S. Um, aid, which we've talked about before. That's through the State Department. She's going to talk about uh, non-government organizations and public-private partnerships. So just hang on for that. All right, here we go. But we've also pivoted to create COVID-specific content so that we're also providing health and hygiene messages. We're providing specific COVID knowledge as well as tools and resources to help caregivers, parents, and children deal with the social-emotional, deal with the anxiety and the stress that this kind of crisis creates. Now, I can tell you how you can deal with that, folks. I can tell you how to deal with it right quick, okay? Turn off your television. Turn off your talk radio. Turn off whatever it is that's feeding you the line that you need to know about health and hygiene when it comes to the COVID. We're going we're gonna to give them information. No, you're going to give them propaganda because you've yet to prove that you've even isolated anything called COVID-19. So this this whole thing, again, even when they're talking about this, even when they're talking about health and hygiene, they're talking propaganda that's coming out. I believe it's not only the fact that we have a means of distribution to reach families even in lockdown, but that we can also create content that's very specific to this particular crisis to help them feel less alone, to help give them practical tools in how they can um, be most effective in maintaining a learning environment when it has to be at home and not in a school. Could you give us some examples of that? So is Elmo showing children how to wash their hands? What are the, what are the kinds of things uh, they would be seeing? We've done a lot of work around wash, water, sanitation, and hygiene over the years. And so now, you know, that's as important as ever. But we've also done very specific content and it's been through 
short form, for digital, it's been through PSAs, it's been through long form. So there are all sorts of animated videos about Elmo washing his hands and washing his hands for the right length of time. There's even a little song he sings so that a child would would participate and have amount of time needed to for you know, thorough hand washing. There are family specials we've created. I've heard you talking elsewhere about the perception in some countries of women and girls and how you've been able to challenge that. And I wonder if sometimes there's any resistance to that in some of those countries or how well that's been received. In Afghanistan, we have a local production called Bache Simpson, which means Sesame Garden and Dari and Pashto. And we partner with the Ministry of Education. We Goals to include girls' education and gender equity are not the Sesame bringing that in without the country embracing it. Are there those in the country who would resist? Absolutely. But we don't go in countries unless we're invited and working closely with local um, partners, local producers, and almost always the Ministry of Education. So girls' education was a key curricular goal. That led um, to the creative, to creating the first Muppet for Afghanistan. We made sure she was a little girl. Her name is Zari. She wears her headscarf, her hijab, and her school uniform. And it gives us an opportunity to not only model and inspire young girls, you know, model for young girls, girls going to school, inspire them, help them think big, to dream big, and and see opportunities they may not have envisioned. But equally important, we're we're showing little boys that it's okay for girls to go to schools. The other Muppet is Zari's little brother, Xerox. And so everything is about modeling the importance of gender equity. Xerox looks up to Zari, but we couldn't do any of this without data. And I couldn't raise the money needed if I couldn't prove impact. So one of the things I find the most rewarding is that in Afghanistan, where it, we have a tremendous viewership reaching close to 4 million children, there are 5 million children under the age of five. And the research shows that not only do little girls react to Zari, but she's the favorite character of little boys. And little boys who watch test 29% higher in terms of gender equity, saying they think it's fine for girls to go to school and for girls and women to have different roles and responsibility. It even gets better. The qualitative research shows that fathers have cited Bache Simpson again and again as the reason they've changed their minds about permitting their daughter to go to school. My theory is it's like a Trojan horse where it's not threatening. It's a children's show. And 80% of the audience in Afghanistan watches with a parent or caregiver. So those fathers are being influenced by Bache Simpson. And that really is about planting the seeds for societal change. Are there any key lessons you could give to any of us about how we teach safely and appropriately young children at this stage of the global pandemic? My advice to adults, to parents, would be to be as engaged as possible with your children. And that even when um, a child can't be in school, the most important thing is that engagement, that play, just looking for opportunity. And look, parents are overwhelmed too and stressed. We know that. But even if it can't be perfect, the more they can do to create those routines and create opportunities for engagement, particularly for children zero to five, is the most important thing for their healthy brain development. Those are Okay, all right. So, so why why don't they emphasize that rather than all this other stuff? 
Why don't, if that's the most important thing is that bond with parent, that's what she just said. And that's what we talk about. Mm -hmm. If that's the most important thing, why is that not being emphasized on Sesame street? Why is that not being emphasized uh, in, in the world economic forum? If that's the most important thing, but that's not the most important thing. They're, they're giving you that sort of as the, you know, make America great statement. <laughs> they're doing that to kind of yeah. make you feel like this is the right thing to do. Oh, but by the way, we're going to give you everything else that's not as important. And we're really going to focus on that. That that just doesn't make any sense to me. Right. And did you catch the thing about this is really a Trojan horse? Yes, now, I that did. was a correct statement. Yes, it that was, was yes, an yes. absolutely correct statement because this is a Trojan horse. But let's not lose the sight of the fact that she just was talking about, you know, zero to five. And we've talked about that as far as from the family aspect. Well, let's go back to the Every Student Succeeds Act, Tim. How much of our content on our shows have we devoted to the fact of their overreaching into the family and saying, oh, yes, the family has to be engaged, and here are the ways that you have to be engaged, and if you're not engaged, we're going to make you be engaged, all for supposed student success. That's why it was named Every Student Succeeds Act. And again, every student doesn't just mean the public school students. Can people not see this writing that's right there in front of them? No, I, I think that uh, I think that there are many who are uh, who have been so pulled away from family. Look, this is a long term thing that the Marxists have had, and that was to destroy the family. And part of that is to pull dad away. They've they've done that with with many men in the home uh, through a variety of things. Whether it is uh, they're having to take on several jobs in order to take care of family, maybe it's it's unconstitutional wars where they're being pulled away from their their families for lo- lo- lengthy periods of time, guys. This thing of America having, I don't know, hundreds of bases all around the world, you may think that's for your freedom. It's separating out families. It just is it's separating out families. That's what it is. And that's part of the design here, too. The other part is, is mom. Mom gets the quote-unquote equity, and she goes out, you know, she's, in some cases, she becomes the breadwinner. And look, there's nothing wrong this is what I find a little weird about the gender equity. There's nothing wrong with a woman being industrious. Uh, Proverbs 31 is very clear there that the woman, you know, the wife and the mother, she gets up early. She tells her, her maidservants what to do in the house. She takes care of that. She takes care of her kids. She loves her husband. And then she, on, on top of that, she's very industrious in the things that she makes in the home, whether it be the clothing that they wear. She laughs at the future. She goes and, and, uh, you know, sets up a vineyard. She sells the produce. She's a businesswoman too. <clears throat> but this whole thing is now they've they've gotten the man and the woman outside the home. The kids are not taken care of all the time by their family. They're sent off for eight, nine, ten hours at the public indoctrination centers, and then now they're wanting to come do that in your own home when you're with your kids anyway. And you know what? Um, I've been thrilled to hear that four to five million parents have said they will not be sending their kids back to school this year, and that's already started for, for many of the, the, in the school system. They're not going to be doing that because they found out we can teach them at home, and we, can actually, we actually enjoy it. We'll make the sacrifice of whatever we're making. Maybe it's the cable TV. Maybe it's that new car that we wanted to have or build a new house or whatever the case may be. We're going to do that because we've seen this is profitable to us, They've taken a situation that's 
really uh, the result of tyrants and of fear-mongering, and they've turned it into something good, which is exactly what God said he would do for his people. Um, Romans eight twenty eight. he turns all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Right, and I don't argue that, but how many of those millions of parents are doing true homeschooling like you and I have done? How many of them are using nothing but the um, <clears throat> digital platforms or the uh, public schools uh, system at home? Because I've, I've seen a lot of homes, people who call themselves homeschooling, that's exactly what they're doing, or they're using what we've talked about before as far as these pod schools. But don't lose the fact that she didn't call out schools. She mentioned learning centers, and that goes back to the 21st uh, century community learning centers where the school is the hub for all the services, whether you're in public school or not. So we have to be warned about those because that's part of the master plan as well. And I guess let's go ahead and finish up the video or the podcast. All right, here we go. Lucky enough to have access to the technology are overwhelmed with content. So you're in a competitive environment, but I wonder what it is, in your opinion, that makes what you produce stand out even from the relatively good stuff that's available out there on the internet? So I think it is the power of the Muppets to engage children and for children to identify with them that makes them such effective role models. And as I mentioned earlier, the fact that we very much appeal to adults and deliberately so increases our our ability to have a real impact. And and that was that's why celebrities or musicians or humor are, are included in these productions so that it's working on on two levels. So I believe that our our success, you know, is in large part because of that engagement. To your point, there's a lot else on um, television or on the tablet media content. We can't just teach if we don't reach. We have to engage to maintain a child's attention and to compete with all of the other, you know, animation and, and other content there. And the other point I will make is that I believe that we have been so effective in remaining relevant, not just by continuing to have sort of pop culture and zeitgeist and celebrities, but by addressing the issues that are most impacting children, whether that's parental addiction, whether that's displacement or whether that's a global pandemic. My thanks to our guest this week, Sherry Westin, President of Social Impact and Philanthropy at the Sesame Workshop, and of course, thanks to her friend, Grover. Subscribe to The Great Reset on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts, and please check out our sister podcast, Will vs. Virus, and take a moment to like, rate, and review us, if you would. You can find all our back catalogue of podcasts at wef.ch slash podcast. <clears throat> okay, um, <laughs> that last one really got me. Dealing with parental addiction? <laughs> What, what is that all about, Lynn? Well, that goes back to some of the stuff that we've talked about, where you've got uh, kids who are being groomed to spy on their parents or to rat out their parents or their neighbors. This goes back to the collectivism that we've talked about, which you'll find in the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. I, I just I find that I find that utterly incredible that this woman would actually come out and say something like that. Uh, how to deal with parental addiction? Uh, that you know, young kids. <clears throat> I don't even know if the term should be used as addictive, but parent, you know, parents and young kids they should be pretty much joined at the hip uh, in those younger developing days. It shouldn't be this. I think it's an I think it's abnormal. 
that these kids are being shipped off from their parents for many hours a day. Um, this this is not this is not a natural kind of thing to be happening there. I think they should be with their parents. So <clears throat> this idea of the separation of time then becomes the 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 springboard, if you will, for what you just said to to launch off into the thing of separating them emotionally and a lot of different ways to where they can be turned on their parents, which folks, this is what they did. This is what they did in communist China. This is what they've done in other communist countries is they begin to separate out the family. This is what I was talking about, the, about the, about the father and the mother being removed from the home. <clears throat> then you have this, this separation that comes and the kids are more easily manipulated against their parents. I mean, it's within their nature as sinners <clears throat> to be rebellious towards parents anyway. And the fact that parents are there to train them in the first place, if they can be harnessed at an early age to be deceptive, to turn on their parents in some way, like what you were saying, being a snitch or whatever, then if mom and dad aren't there to correct that, that, yeah, that presents a huge problem. Right. And what we're seeing is all this social and emotional, social and emotional learning, this resilience, if you will, this social justice. It's not just in our schools. It's in our communities. And if you'll show that image for the book by John Hall, I believe it is, this is a book that your uh, listeners and followers may want to look into. It's called Social Justice. Um, hang on just a second. Let me look at the picture. Goes it's to Social church. Justice Goes to Church. All right. That's John Harris, yes, that's who wrote that. Yes, you may want to look at that because I've got a dear friend who's out in Texas, and she has been doing a lot of research into how the Baptist denomination has really gone full bore into this social justice movement. And I have uh, told her it's not just the Baptist church. I mean, if you look at the Universal Unitarian uh, Church, they have purposely aligned themselves to the United Nations, and they're using Jesus as their excuse for why they're doing this, because they're using the thing of, oh, yes, Jesus went out there and he fed the poor, and he took care of the sick, and all this other kind of stuff. But, you know, they even have an office at the United Nations headquarters there in New York. So don't tell me it's just the Baptist Church. No, it is pretty much every denomination has gone over into this because supposedly it's supposed to help us build world peace. Well, let's just be honest about what's going on there. The church has failed to be the light of the world and the pillar of the truth in in America for the most part. She has succumbed to all kinds of government and state-run tyranny. Uh, She pushes that agenda and some of these churches, they preach that Romans 13 says, you got to submit to the government, doesn't matter what they say, because they're the governing authority, and that honors God, and blah, 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 blah. And they don't teach their, their, their congregants, the people in their parishes, their parishioners, whatever the case may be, they, they're not teaching the people Deuteronomy 6. It's your responsibility before God to talk of them of the commands of God, when you're walking out of the way, when you lie down, when you get up, when you do all these other things that you're doing, not to send them off to a, a godless status indoctrination center and expect them to come out godly. Right. I, it, this is what the, the church has dropped the ball on all of this. I, this is why, you know, when the church drops the ball on anything, it's not just going to sit there in a vacuum. The society, it's going to get filled with something. And so these people see the vacuum there. They're saying, Psh, 
This is our this is our opportunity. We'll jump right in there, and this is what they're doing. And the church is just fine to let them do it. Now the church isn't yeah, going to like the results, but they're just fine to let them do it. Right, and let's point out that a lot of this, because it's tied to the United Nations and it's using the STEM, especially where it targets the girls um, for supposed equity when they really mean equality, let's remember that even the the Satanist church uses STEM for their after-school programs, which are available community-wide and open to everyone. So, yeah, this is how we're seeing the enemy infiltrate the church one more time. Yeah, and again, this comes back to what the Sons of Liberty call, and this isn't to beat up on the church. The church is the bride of Christ. Uh, he bought right. and paid for her with his own blood. And so this is, an, I, this is not an issue of beating up on the church. It's just saying, church, we, because I'm a part of that too, we have failed right. to do what we're supposed to do. The call to us is to repent. It's not just to go have prayer meetings on, you know, in D.C. If, if the prayer meetings mean nothing if there's no change there. Among God's people. Let, right. Let's just put it that way. You can go have all the prayer right. meetings Absolutely. you want and all the goosebumps you want and sing all the songs you want. But if you are not repenting and doing the base things here, the basic things of in your own home here, then what good is all of that hoopla and fanfare if you're not going to do these things? You have to be the example. You have to be the ones who disciple the nations, as the command is in the Great Commission. You have to disciple the nations, beginning in your own home, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things I've commanded. And, lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. If you're not doing those things, don't tell me about your prayer meeting. The prayer is good, but if it doesn't go any farther than what's coming off your lips— What's what's the point of that? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I know people may not want to go to this particular website, but if you want to see more about the supposed reset in education, if you go to weforum, that's F-O-R-U-M dot org, you can see more about how they're using not just Sesame Street, but the other things that are being used to supposedly reset education. Yeah, they've they've got some charts. There's some other videos here of things that uh, was discussed in the podcast. The podcast is available there and uh, several yeah. things on this page. And we'll have the link up in the archive so you guys will be able to check it out yourself uh, after the show. Right. Real quickly, Lynn, we right. got about a minute here. Yeah. going to show people. Uh, mm-hmm. Lynn has got a new um, logo that she's using for the television show. Is that right you're doing? Yep. Okay. That's it. All right. Yeah. And this is her new logo. And let me explain just a little bit about the, how this works. Okay, you got 30 um, seconds. I was talking with, okay, uh, Breaking News Journal, you have to have the Amazon uh, stick or the Roku stick to be able to find the network, and then you can subscribe to the channel. But that's the new logo. And um, there is um, a lot of work that has gone into that, and I thank everyone who's helped with that, everyone who's donated to help get that particular uh, media going. Uh, put a shout out, and that that need was met uh, almost overnight, literally. Uh, but um, there you go. That's it. All right. We appreciate you, Lynn, very much. And, uh, guys, thank you for your support. Those of you in the chat room, those of you at Red State Talk Radio, we appreciate you very much. Tomorrow... You've heard that Pizzagate is a nothing. It's a nothing burger. There's no evidence. Sean Argyle will join us tomorrow with plenty of evidence. You won't want to miss that. See ya.